Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro, she's the nice one, and Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice, but together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebra, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of vinnews.com. Let's play Jeopardy. The answer is, he said, I defeated socialism. And do I look like a socialist? The correct answer is, who is Joe Biden? Since January, we've watched the Democrats attempt to transform America into a bizarro Amerizuela. Today, we are very lucky to have with us Carrie Severino from the Judicial Crisis Network, whom Bela will introduce shortly, to explain what the Democrats are up to with their attempts to pack the courts and how her organization is leading the fight to save our country from this new tyranny. Democrats are attempting to restructure the Supreme Court. Currently, the court is considered conservative by a six to three margin, so the Democrats want Joe Biden to be able to appoint four new liberal judges to give the Democrats a majority in the court. This majority will allow Democrats to pass their entire agenda from controlling how votes are cast and counted to terminating the Second Amendment to making illegal immigration legal with full citizenship rights. And if you are religious, they would have the power to control when houses of worship and private schools can be open or closed, as we saw power-hungry governors last year dictate the terms for synagogues and churches. Remember when the media and Democrats warned that Donald Trump was a threat to our freedoms and democracy? It was they all along who were planning just that. Bela? Thank you, Alan. The term court packing for some is still an unknown or foreign phrase. And so I will give a bit of a background about a topic that we will be discussing today for our listening audience. Uh, the Coined Court Packing Plan Initiative is nothing new. This proposed bill in 1937 by President Franklin D. Roosevelt was to add more judges to the United States Supreme Court. It would have meant then adding one judge for each judge over the age of 70 who did not retire, up to six additional judges. And in the end, Congress never enacted the law. When we talk about court packing now to describe changes to the Supreme Court, it's not just about the amount of justices, but a political party that engages in court packing will typically infringe on the standards that govern who is appointed. In essence, it diminishes the court standing and can make it difficult for people to take the Supreme Court seriously. Interestingly, the idea of expanding the Supreme Court became a liberal cause after Republicans confirmed three Supreme Court justices during former President Donald Trump's term. And now Democrats will introduce legislation to expand the Supreme Court from nine to 13 justices in a court packing attempt that could have the potential to threaten the foundation of our democracy. With us today to discuss this topic in depth is Carrie Campbell Severino. She's the president of the Judicial Crisis Network 
and co-author with Molly Hemingway of the best-selling book, Justice on Trial, The Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Court. As an expert on the confirmation process, Mrs. Severino has been extensively quoted in the media and regularly appears on television, including MSNBC, Fox, CNN, CSCSBAN, and ABC's This Week. Carrie, do you think the average American public is interested in having the Supreme Court expanded? I'm asking because a recent poll found just 26% of Americans support backing the Supreme Court and 46% who oppose it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that poll doesn't surprise me at all because this is something that has never been popular with the broad American public. As you did this, you kind of told the story of when FDR tried to do this. And even back then, he was an incredibly popular president. He had an overwhelming majority in Congress. And even then, the American people said, wow, no, 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 this, we're not going to do this. And he got rejected by his own con- Democratic-led Congress. So those numbers don't surprise me. I think the American people don't want to see the court turned into more of a political football. But I'll tell you who this idea is popular with. And that's what gives me pause. It's really popular with the deep pocketed liberal dark money networks who were the same people who spent upwards of nearly $150 million, in fact, to help get President Biden elected. And so you're seeing a shift from even what Biden himself has said previously on this topic. So he's he when he talking of, of Roosevelt said that court packing was actually a bonehead idea, that it should never have been tried, that this was executive overreach. Um, And yet now suddenly things have changed. And now he in the Democratic Party has gotten completely on board with this idea. And what's happening is we're seeing that money talks and they're being pushed by the loudest, most extreme voices to the left to an area that, frankly, even the reasonable Democrats and even some, you know, people I don't normally think of as reasonable Democrats, people like Bernie Sanders are saying, guys, this is a bad idea. And, you know, if you are to the left of Bernie Sanders, something is terribly wrong. Carrie, you know, I want to ask you, you know, usually when Democrats try to go off the deep end, they do it, you know, they try to sound reasonable. Like, everyone should make $15 an hour if you're working 40 hours a week, we should, I mean, and they can kind of, you know, schmaltz it up to make it sound reasonable. But here, this is such a blatant power grab. Um, What am I missing here? I mean, the people pushing it, do they not care anymore? Do they not see that this doesn't even look like if they said, let's add two more judges? I mean, that'll be sneaky and devious also, but at least it doesn't have the just blatant, you know, power grab that they're attempting to go for. Uh, yeah, it's, it is really shocking. I mean, I was talking to someone else who said, now, wait a minute, what is I know I know that's how you present it. What is their explanation? What's their? They must have a neutral one, as as, as uh, Bailey was saying. FDR said, oh, these guys are getting too old. If you're over 70, we're going to start adding people in to help you out. They're not even trying that. They're not even they're They're just like the biggest um, reason they come up with is, well, Trump got to what they, they're calling Trump did court packing. They say Trump filled all these seats. So we ought to be able to fill seats, too. So surprise, Trump put on three judges. How many judges do they want to add to the court? Four judges. And they'll say it's because we don't think he should have been able to fill those seats. Why not? It's not clear to me because they don't think he should have won in 2016. I'm not sure, um, you know, because he as as the president, you get you get you get your judicial picks in the Senate. If they confirm them, those people are in office. So, um, you know, they it's really been very blatant. They say, well, we want to basically counteract Trump's impact on the judicial bench, which has been very significant. 
Um, as you said, it, it, we've gone now where we have six Republican appointee judges that are pretty conservative. Now, it's not not always a six three margin. There's a lot of cases that it's still you're skating by with a five four case. So I think we can't overstate the success, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, especially with the addition of these of these three Trump nominees and Amy Coney Barrett coming in uh, just last fall, that has been a major impact on the court and the left, it drives them crazy because for decades, they really had a stronghold on, on the American courts. Even the Republican nominees were some of the most liberal justices on the bench. And they're just used to the court being doing whatever the, the liberal pundits tell it to do. So if they can't get something through Congress because it's just too radical, they would go to the courts. The courts would be like, yes, A-OK, let's go forward with that. So now losing that is just it's making them crazy. They're willing to go to new and greater depths <laughs> to, to try to counteract uh, the fact that we have not even, I wouldn't even call these like, they're not conservative activist judges in the court. They're just judges who are willing to look at what the law says. Right. And that in and of itself is, is beyond the pale for these uh, liberal extremists. Carrie, there are alternatives to court packing that have been suggested by politicians on both sides. Can you please share with our listening audience a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, look, there's there's lots of proposals for things you could do to change the way the Supreme Court works um, that range from, you know, interesting ideas uh, like like term limits. OK, you know, when when the courts were designed and they were given life tenure, the average age <laughs> was not on the courts was not what it is now. Now you've got people serving into their 80s and sometimes even 90s on the courts. So, sure, that's something we can talk about. But you know what? That's something that would require a constitutional net. That's something that would require a broad bipartisan push by the American people. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I think if you did it in a way where it wasn't purposely engineered to help one party or the other, that could be a, a great development. But that's something that's going to be a let's all get together and decide to, together to do this. They don't want that. They don't want to reach across the aisle solution. They want something that is explicitly done to benefit the Democrats. So they, they sometimes talk about some of these other ideas as if this is just, well, we just think we wanna reform the courts in general and let's talk about ideas. Don't, don't be fooled. The main thing they're talking about is packing the courts and they're not gonna just stop at packing the Supreme Court. They're, they are hoping to add as many seats as they can to the appellate courts and the district courts. They just, it, it, they don't want to possibly have to wait to fill those seats with Biden. And it's so funny because sometimes they'll even explicitly say this because they, they can see the writing on the wall. They can see that they're already have been so extreme that they're worried about losing the Senate in 2022. And it's not surprising. They, they hold the Senate by the barest possible margin. And that's what you need to get judges confirmed. So they're like, guys, we got to do this all before we lose the Senate. That's kind of acknowledging what we're doing doesn't have the backing of the American people. If you thought these, what you're doing is so great, you'd say, let's do it so people vote more of us in, in 2022. But they know this is not going to be popular. They just want to grab that while they have the chance. Carrie, can you walk us through the steps when something happens what is it that triggers Judicial Crisis Network? I mean, you, you go to work every day. Um, not every day is uh, you know, a big news day. What has to happen that triggers you folks into action? And then what is the process uh, to which you build up your momentum? I know that you folks have spent um, roughly, I think, a million dollars, I read, on an ad that uh, we will play for our audience later. But what steps, how do you build up momentum to fight back? Yeah, so this is one of those issues. I mean, obviously, 
you know, when there's a major question that's going to have a big long-term impact on the courts. So we get really involved, of course, when there's Supreme Court nomination or confirmation process. Uh, we, we got involved in some of the um, appellate nominees that were getting attacked by the left uh, by President Trump. But court packing is something that really lit a fire under us because this is a attack on the very institution of the court. And it also plays into another theme that we've seen increasing over the past um, few years. And uh, that, that is another one that, that we want to raise awareness about the American people. And that is this attempt of intimidation against the court. So when Trump was in office and the, and the liberals realized they, they were losing the ability to just tell the justices, you know, we, we want we want you to do this and they would do it. Um, they started intimidating the judges. So we saw this with just Chief Justice Roberts, who unfortunately right. on occasion seemed to be susceptible to this, um, where he, they would say, oh, you know, we're going to write all these op-eds um, or whatever the New York Times is calling them nowadays um, to uh, to say that the court's being too political. And unfortunately, it seems like, uh, you know, that game of chicken seems to have worked. He seems to blink um, on more than one occasion. And so this is, is another level. They've, they've actually suggested in a couple of years ago in an amicus brief, Senator Whitehouse and several other of his Democratic colleagues filed an amicus brief in a Second Amendment case saying, if you don't moot this case, if the court doesn't drop this case, we might be forced to do something, you know, like structural reform on the court, which, you know, another code word for court packing. Um, and you know what the court did? It did drop the case. So it, this is this is this is really something they've been using as leverage to threaten the court. So this is something we thought we can't let this slip by and people need to know what's really happening. We know, unfortunately, um, you know, it gets spun completely out of out of recognition by when you hear the Democrats talking about it. And unfortunately, um, I think some of the the truth of it isn't even getting shown fully uh, by the mainstream media. So we wanted people to be aware of it. We want to make sure that some of those senators who like to play moderate, the Democrats, like like Joe Manchin and, and, and Kirsten Sinema, right. hey, if you guys want to be able to stand up for a long-term institution, you need to be standing for not letting the court be packed because the court is our last line of defense. If this administration tries things that are unconstitutional, tries to stretch the law because they don't have enough margin to pass new laws that they want to in Congress, we need the court to be there standing up. This is like a do or die moment. Carrie, uh, in addition to court packing, there will be other ways that can undermine judicial independence. Can we talk about that? Can we go into you know discussion about that, please? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of them is this this intimidation. You know, you've seen everything from these amicus briefs to, you know, just just people trying to write up nasty um, uh, articles saying, oh, well, this or that. You know, anytime a conservative uh, justice comes up with a conservative decision, they start going on and on about how, oh, this must be they're They're getting, you know, a payoff or something <laughs> from these. Yeah. And you're like, I don't understand what you're, you know, half the time they're talking about Clarence Thomas who has been on the court for 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, he's just, he just, that's really who he is. He's really, that's his position. So, um, yeah, there's, there's that kind of thing. It's interesting because now they're even trying to intimidate some of the liberal justices, justice Breyer, Breyer. for example, yep. who, who stood up. He's, he's one of the, staunch liberals in the court. He used to go around the country debating with Justice Scalia. Scalia saying you need to follow the text and Breyer's like, yeah, the text can change. It can evolve. I mean, this guy's out there. And yet he's he had the audacity to say recently at a, at a speech at Harvard Law School that the court shouldn't be messed with in this political way. They shouldn't be packing the court and that he didn't um, approve of making this more politicized. And, you know, the thanks he got 
from, again, these, these dark money groups and the left is they're now literally running billboards, mobile billboards that, that circle around in D.C. saying retire Breyer and basically saying, right. please, you know, retire now. We want to replace you with a black woman. We have no more use for you. <laughs> so right. you're not towing the line. Right. You know, I want to ask you about Brett Kavanaugh. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. why. Um, I watched him and his family. Um, I'm not an overly emotional person, but you could just see the pain after everything they went through. And what I watched is even before he was officially named, you saw the big rally outside. It was basically a pose. And it was like fill in the blank. It didn't yep. even matter who it is. And then when you had the hearings, you had these crazy radical, um, you know, what's chasing senators into the elevators. What I'm wondering is, how is it that, and I don't know if this is all dark money, but how is it that when they want to mobilize, they can snap their finger and they'll have thousands of people out there screaming. But when it comes to our side, there is, I don't see an equivalent to defending Brett Kavanaugh. I don't see, you'll never see Republican women chasing Democrats into elevators. I, even the defense of Brett Kavanaugh. Um, we were basically just praying that, you know, God will watch over and justice will be done. And thank God for Susan Collins. And I always tell Republicans, you know what? Because, you know, they bashed Mitch McConnell. Say Mitch McConnell gave us Neil Gorsuch. You want to bash Susan Collins? She saved the Kavanaugh. You know, so how is it that we never seem to have the same type of activism to protect the people that we want the way they have to demonize uh, our, our nominations or our nominations. Uh, well, a couple, yeah, a couple things. One of them is I think uh, the activism that we have is a, is not the brass knuckles type activism sometimes. And I think shouldn't be, I mean, we're not going to be the rude tra taking over building in a violent way that some of that, that was doing. Um, so there's some of the groups that I did see, um, occupying the Capitol buildings were not doing it in that way, but they were, they were literally going into the, uh, some of the offices that they knew were being targeted and they were just occupying it instead praying. And, and, and that, that was a really powerful thing, but did that get shown in the, on the news? No. And in fact, I, I remember, I think it was, I can't remember what was F SBA list, which is a pro-life group, or it was, uh, if it was the concerned women for America, but they, they were trying to get a TV camera to interview they had these women there who had traveled to be there. And they said, yeah, this isn't the story we want to, we want to print. So they're not showing you. The other aspect of it is you, you put your finger on it. It is the dark money to a certain extent. And this is something that Molly Hemingway and I, when we were writing the book on that confirmation, were floored to get into the details of because really the, the, those protests were so well financed and so well organized. There was even one amazing interview with CNN. Um, with some of the organizers of these protests that I couldn't believe it because they actually said it like it was. One of them said, oh, this isn't chaos. This is scripted. They literally paid for, for women to fly from Alaska because they knew that Lisa Murkowski, like Susan Collins, was really you know, in the crosshairs and was being targeted. So they had people whose flights were paid, whose hotels were paid. They had people paying, that they were being paid to give them legal training on exactly how to get arrested, what you needed to say, what and how, how often they you know they would sending out emails saying, hey, we heard that they're going to keep you overnight if you've been already been arrested twice. So just be aware if you were going to get arrested the third time, be prepared to stay overnight. Um, they were having people paying their bail. I mean, it was really this is an organized effort. So this is this isn't um, the way we often do it, where it's, you know, it's actually grassroots. It's actually people who took the day off of work 
to come in and do this. The one, one of the women who was blocking um, that elevator, she's a, she's a, a, a paid uh, or, or basically community organizer with one of these dark money groups. And when you trace them all back, it's actually all part of the same network. So it looks like there's 80 different groups there. It's wow. really one umbrella network that has all of these different front groups. So, um, so unfortunately, I feel like we, sometimes it feels like we are fighting with one hand tied behind our back because they have so many devious ways of doing it. But you, you know, the good message at the end of the day is, I think that A, I, I think that ultimately at the end, the, the, the more prayerful, peaceful method did win out. And that was something that was, that was very um, powerful to Susan Collins herself. That impressed her. And B, I think a lot of what they were doing there backfired. Remember Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation right. did not look like Brett Kavanaugh. And that was something that surprised a lot of people, even though she was replacing Justice Ginsburg, who was a, which is a huge shift. Ginsburg right. to, to Barrett is about as far of a shift as you could ever go on the court. And I think a lot of that was because the Democrats realized what they did during the Kavanaugh nomination was right. so outrageous and so disgusted most of America that it really hurt them. And it hurt them. The only place it hurts, it hurt the, their, their pocketbook in the polls. And it hurt them in the polls in 2018 um, for, for that kind of a low, uh, dirty campaign to be run against Kavanaugh. I think that alone is what stopped them from doing the same thing to Amy Coney Barrett. It's not that they couldn't have made up stuff about her. They could have. Um, but I think a lot of it, and she, and not, she was a wonderful nominee, don't get me wrong, and she, she comported herself incredibly well. But um, I think a lot of it was they were afraid to go there because they knew how bad it looks. So I think, you know, it, it's frustrating, <laughs> but we have to keep fighting the fight, the good fight and keep fighting it in the good manner. And I, I think that's something the American people respond to. Harry, um, Jerry Nadler um, said, we are not packing the Supreme Court. We are unpacking it. Could you comment on that, please? <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they love to redefine terms, don't they? It's like we're living Such in George nightmare. Orwell's yeah. uh, worst nightmare. But you know, he so they they are ignoring the fact that packing the court has, you know, for the last hundred years, everyone's used it to talk about adding justices to benefit your political party. He calls packing the court the idea that the president was able to fill seats in the court. They didn't like that. And I sympathize. I don't like the fact that Biden's the one nominating justices right now, but it's not packing the court. Um, you know, he, he had Trump had the opportunity to fill Justice Scalia's seat. And that's because the way our Constitution has designed things where the president can nominate and Barack Obama did nominate someone for that seat. But the Senate has the up or down vote and the Senate chose not to confirm Merrick Garland to that seat. And the American people gave a resounding thumbs up to that decision, because if you looked at the exit polls in 2016, uh, you know, a one out of five Americans said their number one issue was the Supreme Court. And those people right. voted for Donald Trump. Can I ask you, did you, when, um, when you wrote your book, did you um, meet with the Kavanaugh's? Did you talk to them? Did you say, oh, listen, this is just all fluff here. It's just noise. Don't worry about it. Um, well, I guess the first question is, did you meet with them? And if so, what counsel, you know, were you able to give them? Well, unfortunately, you know, the way we were able to get such great access and details in our book is that a lot of the key people we talked to, we did talk to 
off the record and, uh, you know, be behind yeah. the scenes. However, we can say we, we spoke, we did speak to several members of the Supreme Court. We spoke to the president and the vice president. We spoke to key people in the White House. We spoke to multiple senators. Um, so we, we, we kind of cover the base of the people who uh, were involved in it, but we can't say specifically amongst Understood. that, apart from the president and the vice president told us we, could, <laughs> we right. can't, we can't name other names. Right. Carrie, you do absolutely wonderful work. Um, do you have any more questions, uh, Alan? Yes, I want to ask you. So this yeah. is obviously a very high profile because the Democrats are obviously shooting their load. Um, can you tell us on a day-to-day -day basis what your uh, organization does? You work with lower courts, obviously, and th these are things that never make the news. And it wasn't until Donald Trump was at a rally saying how many seats he was able to fill at the lower level that we never heard of. So can you tell us about what your organization does to help find good judges for the lower seats before they become famous and you know become uh, you know Supreme Court nominees? Yeah, well, I mean, our, our role shifts a little bit depending on what the administration is. Uh, it's a little bit like playing infield and outfield in baseball. So, you know, with, with you know, when Trump was in office, um, we were able to, you know, help, uh, connect people who who might be really good um, applicants and uh, and you know help provide our insights on vetting I mean it's trying to look at someone especially when you're talking about people in some cases like like a Gorsuch or a Kavanaugh who's been on, on a, an appeals court for decades um, the number of decisions they've looked at helping to provide uh, you know the in, insight into having having people who understand that record and can can look through it and and pick out okay who on these on this list and Trump had an amazing list of potential nominees, but right. being able to really sort through that uh, to say who what what are the what are the key strengths of each of these nominees um, in in a unfortunately in a Democratic White House uh, and, I, and we've been we did it through Obama and we'll be doing this through uh, Biden. One of our key focuses is trying to hold that administration accountable, um, and unfortunately um, because we don't have Senate control. It, it, it means that there are going to be judges who I would never in a million years have said this is someone who should be in the federal courts, but there just aren't going to be the votes to stop. Um, but we want to make sure that even when we can't stop them, that the American people realize what is happening so that they're being held accountable for the kind of men and women they're putting on the bench and for the cases where they're doing so not because this is someone who's got a record of being faithful to the Constitution, but really just someone who was handpicked by some of these same dark money groups that seem to be running, you know, this administration from the inside out. I, I, I it would be easier if it was just the president running things. I'm, I'm not sure that's unfortunately how things work here. So we want to keep um, keep the pressure on them, make sure that the American people understand what's happening. And then on issues like uh, this court packing and, and um, you know, other structural uh, attacks and intimidation attacks on our independent judiciary. I think it's so important to call those out really loud now, because I think if we don't make it as clear as it was to FDR in 1937, that was a resounding no thank you from the American people. Yeah. We don't want that. We, it needs to be exactly that clear, because otherwise they're going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Carrie, thank you for your analysis and commentary on this hotly debated topic of court packing. We appreciate your time, knowledge, and perspectives. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in to The Definitive Wrap and to vinews.com for our show being their official podcast.
Thank okay. you again. Carrie, thank you so, so much. And off the air, I'll have more questions for you. But again, thank you all so right. much for joining us. Thanks. And good luck, you know, with all those beautiful children. Thanks. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.